HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. I'm Sam Edwards. I'm third-generation cure master from S. Wallace Edwards & Sons in Surrey, Virginia. We support the Heritage Radio Network because we believe in the cause and what they're doing. They're supporting family-raised livestock, small family farms, uh, certified humane, pasture-raised, antibiotic-free. Basically, we take the products from Heritage Foods USA and make them into uh, Serrano-style hams, prosciutto-style hams, bacon, sausage, like my grandfather did. You can find us at Surrey Farms. Dot com or virginiatraditions.com Welcome to the Food Scene on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Today in studio, we have Gabriel and Gina Stoneman, uh, renowned restaurateurs of so many places. Joseph Leonard, <laughs> Jeffrey's Grocery, Fedora, all located in Manhattan. If you don't know Gabe, Gabriel, uh, didn't read that wonderful glowing piece about how you created Little Wisco here in New York in the New York Times. Uh, here's your chance to meet him and understand where he came from. Uh, we were just emailing prior a little bit about your history, your past. And I didn't know that you grew up in a Sephardic, you know, very religious uh, family. Whereabouts did you grow up? Um, I grew up in Northern Virginia. It's an area called Fairfax Station. It's just outside of D.C. And yes, uh, my mother's uh, from Morocco and my father's from Baltimore, both Jewish. Uh, my father's Ashkenaz. My mother's Sephardic. But I guess in the realm of tradition and upbringing, we leaned much more towards my mother's customs and traditions at the house. And uh, yeah, I grew up in a very religiously observant home. I grew up keeping kosher. Uh, and Can you explain kosher for a sec for sure. those that don't know? 
Sure. Uh, kosher, uh, the, the Hebrew word uh, that you will see in the Old Testament, it's called kashrut. Uh, basically what it is, is it, it's a whole list of uh, dietary restrictions. So many of these dietary restrictions were initially grounded in cleanliness and ways in which to help prevent spread of, uh, you know, not, not so much... Um, Illness, right? Yeah, you know, like they're, they're, trichinosis in the desert. Right, yeah, yeah. They, you know, there were, there, there were many things that you could find in a lot of the forbidden foods that were more likely to make you sick and bacterias 5,000 years ago. Yeah. Uh, I, I think the main foundation of a lot of these dietary restrictions, though, is based upon an ideology and a belief of discipline, you know, which is... By denying oneself certain elements, one appreciates others that they are allowed to have more. Uh, if you never deny yourself anything, I think the, the, the basis of that ideology is then you don't appreciate that apple more than you do the bacon. You know, if you do deny yourself certain things, then you might appreciate that, which you can have more. And, you know, that could very much come into play. Like, I look at the way uh, my parents are when they go out to a restaurant, right? Even my restaurants, right? And they look at the menu and, you know, immediately, you know, there there is a large percentage of the menu that they can't (laughs) eat. Yeah. And I guess that makes them really that much more excited about that which they can. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I think a lot of people walk into restaurants nowadays uh, with the vision of what I can't eat via dietary restrictions. Mm-hmm. And right. religious restrictions don't play a part as much because, you know, kosher, go to kosher places. Uh, when I was in school in Boston, you know, everyone went to Brookline to the Chinese food places right. because they couldn't go to Chinatown. But um, when you're on a plane and they say, pick a meal, you know, there's vegetarian, there's right. lactose intolerant, but there's kosher. and Yeah. You know, uh, it, it, it's a glaring omission sometimes yeah. to how people operate and cook. And Gina, did you grow up in a similar household? No, actually, my, my family is Christian. So we grew up, um, I mean, they're not very religious at all. So there was really no restrictions. <laughs> um, so I was first introduced to all of this when Gabriel and I started dating. And he took me home for Thanksgiving. And, uh, you know, I was washing dishes and there were separate dishes. There was dishes for meat, dishes for dairy, and um, and it was like the first time that I'd ever actually learned about any of this stuff. Um, fortunately, his parents, they, they do keep kosher, but they're not strict kosher. Yeah. So they they can go to other restaurants that, that you know, don't have separate, separate dishes and things like that. Um, but, you know, for us, I actually converted to Judaism before we got married, and... Um, you know, we have not made the decision to keep kosher. Obviously, yeah. our, none of our restaurants are kosher. So I was about to ask so. if you had like separate dishwashers. We in. don't. No. Yeah. We don't. <laughs> no, no, no. We don't. You it's know, a slight it, expense. It's something that you know we talked about. Maybe in the future we'll have yeah. we'll have a kosher home. Um, oh, I thought you were going to say kosher deli, and I was going to no, jump for joy as well. I no, I, no. I, Although I, we've gotten a lot of requests. Yeah. I've actually had a lot of um, people that have come into the restaurants that know that Gabriel grew up in a kosher home, and they've asked, are you guys going to do that one day? Yeah. You should. There's Apparently, there's really not a lot of kosher butchers downtown Interesting, yeah. anymore. You know, there's there's a couple on the Upper West Side, but yeah. there's not that many downtown. So That's fascinating. Um, I kind of want to jump straight from childhood upbringing get, to get college. Right, get right into the gut of the mouth. <laughs> uh, Wisconsin. Yes. That is the gut of the mouth, I guess. Uh, 
your time in college, so. UW. Uh, that's what it's called affectionately, right? Yeah, that is yeah. what it's called yeah. affectionately. Uh, I, I think there are some people that went to University of Washington as well. That the I one think, in St. Louis, or no? I, yeah. I, I I think the one in in Washington State. Yeah, and I think they refer to their university as UW as well. Yeah. Uh, so for all the listeners out there, we are referring <laughs> to UW as in University of Wisconsin Madison. Yeah. Right. Um. And, hey, I got a lot of friends that went to University of Washington, so much love to you yeah. guys as well. <laughs> um, yeah, I went, to, I went to university out there. I got there in 1998. Uh, I, I originally was an out-of-state student. I took what was supposed to be my sophomore year off of school to live and work in the city to become a resident of the state yeah. so that I could, you know, the main, the main motives were to save on tuition. It's a drastic difference from out-of-state tuition to oh, in-state. Oh, I know. I went to school in so, Boston, man. So I, I, I spent what was supposed to be my sophomore year doing that. And then I went back to school. And so, you know, I, I, I had the fortunate pleasure of living in Wisconsin for five years and uh, got a degree in history and political science. But it was while I was there that, you know, like many college students, you need a job to give you some, some money to live, right? And if you're in school all day... You know, what what sort of job can you do at night? Well, you know, I mean, there's there's uh, custodial services, <laughs> and then there's the restaurant world. So politically and, correct, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I, so I, kind. I I found myself in the restaurant world. You know, I I first started off as a line cook. As a line cook, I saw myself working, you know, a certain set amount of hours, and in a certain grueling atmosphere for you know what was like eight dollars an hour, right? And while doing that, I saw the waiters working at this diner that I was a line cook at, working less hours and making more money. So I naturally thought I should be a waiter instead. Yeah. <laughs> and so I eventually spoke to the owner of that place, and I got myself a job waiting tables there after some time. Well, what place in Wisconsin? Uh, this place was called uh, Caffelli. Yeah. Right? Uh, right on State Street. And then uh, from there... I, I went to go on to a couple of higher-end restaurants as a waiter. And as I started working at some higher-end restaurants as a waiter, I naturally saw the bartenders making more money than the waiters. And not only were the bartenders making more money, but, the, you know, they're, for, for you know lack of better you know description, there almost seems to be a, l- a little bit of like a class system, you know, where the bartender has more respect than the waiter who has more respect than the busboy, right? You know, being a bartender in a college town carried with it a certain amount of privileges and uh, opportunities that you it's still very get. PC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, this <laughs> is all code for you. You get all the girls. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, you, 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 you get. You you do get more attention with the <laughs> ladies, but you also get more respect from the guests. You know, I, and I see that even today here in New York. You yeah. Know, when you look at the way certain diners will address a server, and then that same diner will get up and walk to the bar, and they're immediately more respectful and polite. And and so I noticed, you know. That here's an opportunity to make more money. Also, you know, in college, you know, I started bartending at age 19. This was an opportunity to give all my friends free booze. Get shift it, drinks, was, yeah. it was an opportunity to get all of my friends who were underage like me into the bar. You know, because in, in, in Wisconsin, you can bartend at 18. Yeah. So it's like, here I am. I'm underage. I've now got all of this 
premium booze at my fingertips. <laughs> and I can drink whatever I want because it's not like anybody's going to be checking my ID if I'm working the bar. Yeah. Right? I was about and, to say, do you worry about your employees <laughs> having this similar mindset? Well, we kind of give them free reign. Yeah. Give them a lot of freedom you know, because I learned a lot from yeah. what I did. Yeah. 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 You're yeah. going to do it anyway. Yeah. So you right. might as well let everybody know listen go ahead we're cool with it as long as you ring it in yeah so we know what you're drinking and you know we're all adults if you can only drink two drinks and that's your limit stop at two drinks yeah. like yeah. don't get drunk <laughs> i mean yeah I, I think gina hit the nail on the head we have a we what i used to do is i used to give away the house right i'd give away so much booze to all my friends and i would consume considerable amounts and i had a fun and college was great and i made my money and it provided me the opportunity to travel and do all these wonderful things I also was, you know, I, I, I think my owners were really smart. I, they did inventory on a regular basis. There's no way that they didn't know I was giving yeah. away the house. I was about to say, are they um, still open? I, I, I think <laughs> what it was is I used to host a lot of special nights there. And it was sort of, I, I have to believe in their mind, this sort of give and take, which is on nights that Gabe's working, He's putting an extra four or $5,000 into the register because I would throw parties and have my friends DJ and, and promote the nights that I bartended. And we're making all this more revenue because all of his friends are coming in. Yes, he's probably giving away a bottle of Jack and a bottle of Kettle and a bottle of Jameson throughout the course of the night to his 100 friends that are in here. But without his 100 friends, we're not ringing in a fraction of what we So would. you were like pre-group on. So, yeah, I was, I was pre-Groupon. So, you know, what we do now at our places and what I've always done is we basically give everybody that works for us carte blanche. Yeah. Like, you can give away whatever you want. There is no limit. You can give away booze. You can give away food. You can give it away to your boyfriend, to your girlfriend, to your roommate, to your boss, to your regular. There's one rule. You got to ring it in. Yeah. You got to give me an accounting record of what you're giving away, because if I do an inventory and find you know discrepancies between what I know we have in house and what I have a record for moving out of the house, that's when we have issues, and that's when the policy doesn't work anymore. We also, I mean, we work with very professional people that know when you say you know if your boyfriend comes into work and you want to give him something, they know that means okay. If my boyfriend comes in, I can give him this amazing new tomato tart i'm not going to give him the steak yeah yeah <laughs> right. so it, it's common sense and we work exactly. with a great group of people at each restaurant that know the difference they, they understand you know it, it's it, you know another you know analogy of the same that gina just gave is you know if somebody comes in and they're having four pints of beer you know you can pick up one not charge them for one and pick up three. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like, and, and fortunately, you know, I, I've, I'm lucky. We, all, we work with so many of my friends from college and we work with so many of my friends here from New York. We're very fortunate that we have been able to be a part of a team that has a lot of integrity and that treats our establishments like their own. And so they don't want to, they, you know, you know, they want to see us have a great night sales wise and they work towards achieving that yeah. you know it's awesome so after school jumping back a little yep. bit you went and worked in italy i did uh i i, it, I think it's 
best to represent that what it really was. I didn't go to Italy looking for work. I went to Europe to backpack by myself. Yeah. And I started in Eastern Europe and Croatia and, you know, marched my way down that whole coast, uh, you know, through Albania and Bosnia and, and through Greece. And I was, you know, the total duration of my trip was somewhere around four and a half months. When I set out, I had no idea how long I was going to be gone or how long my money would last. But I knew I would come home when it felt right. And I guess at a certain point, I wasn't ready to come home, but I was out of money. (laughs) And so I needed to keep working or find work in order to keep traveling. And at some point, I think, you know, in August, I was in Greece and I was, you know, talking to some other solo travelers to which they said, you know, it's getting ready to be wine picking season. Yeah. Why don't you go find a vineyard and, you know, you can make some money. And fortunately enough, uh, you know, I found a vineyard in Tuscany who took me in for about three weeks. It's not too shabby. They, you know, they, they put me up in a villa. I mean, it was, I I think, you know, I mean, looking back, I must've had a horseshoe, you know, (laughs) on, on my person to get as, as lucky of a situation as I did because the vineyard, I knocked on about five vineyards doors and got rejected by all of them because I'd gotten there a week late. Yeah. Uh, I'd gotten there a week too early, uh, or they weren't comfortable hi- hiring me because I was illegal. And then finally, I found a vineyard that also had a agriturismo operation. So they had about five villas on their property where people would come for vacation. And I mean, we're talking pristine, decked out villas, ivy on the walls, you know, beautiful linens, you know, cable tv all that stuff and i found one where there was a german family who had rented out the property for a month but had to cancel last minute and the vineyard was still kept all the money so they had a paid for villa with nobody staying in it when i came looking for a job and i had a tent and i was like i'll (laughs) go i was like i'll go sleep in the woods it's cool just let me use a bathroom every now and yeah. then and they said you know what just Why take don't you just, have the villa just take the villa <laughs> yeah and so i got to stay in this villa and i mean it couldn't have worked out better for me i think they paid me you know we're talking 2003 here september they paid me something awesome like 12 or 13 euros an hour Whew. while i was you know working 2003 was the heat wave summer you know it was, it was when there was the blackout in new york that i read about yeah you know on newspapers and i mean i'm working a straight up eight hour day making my euros all under the table you know would go into the town and you know met the local baker and the local butcher and had my salami and my bread (laughs) and my cheese and back home to the cable tv (laughs) you know it wasn't it it wasn't that rough of a life you know um i mean it was definitely laborious hours and i'm not gonna front on that but you know i mean it it worked out. Yeah. <laughs> On that note, we're going to take a quick break and uh, come back to see why you ever moved back to the States. <laughs> right. You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. We'll be right back.
following is a public service announcement from Heritage Radio Network. Join Linda Palaccio for a taste of the past every Thursday at 12 p.m. as she indulges her curiosities about food, cooking, drinking, and dining of the past by taking a journey through culinary history. Linda interviews authors, scholars, friends, and chroniclers to learn about what was eaten, where, and how. From as long ago as ancient Mesopotamia and Rome, right up to the grazing tables and deli counters of today. The show underscores food as a lively link between present and past cultures. Again, that's Thursday at 12 p.m. on the Heritage Radio Network. Welcome back to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. Your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, sitting here with Gabriel and Gina Stolman. And still trying to figure out why Gabriel ever left his posh little, you know, villa yes. in Tuscany. Yes. Um, but well, there's a reason. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the short and obvious, or perhaps not so obvious reason is uh, the harvest ended. Yeah. And uh, See, as that, happy that, that as That was the your family. chance to say, because I had to go find now Gina. I was waiting. Yeah. I was waiting. Yeah. It never happened. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, the harvest season ended. And uh, I also didn't. You know, at the time, I didn't want to keep doing that. I, I was that was a means to an end. Yeah, I was there to get enough euros to try to keep going for another month and change. Yeah, and mission accomplished. You know, I I, <laughs> I went from 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 there to an airport. You know, within a few days and back to the NYC. To, no, flew to Spain. Oh, excellent. And and you know, f- did that until money ran out a second time. <laughs> yeah. And and then back to NYC yeah. with, you know, like $50 to my name. Then you had to find another bartending job. Yeah, I had to find... For, unfortunately, nobody wanted to hire me to be a bartender. So yeah. My first job in New York City ended up being coat check. Whereabouts? <laughs> uh, a now-defunct club called Dorcia. Yeah. But, uh, you know, note to everybody out there listening. Coat check in the winter of New York City at a club rocks pays well. Yeah, I've had friends that have been coat <laughs> it, checks in like five, you know, four star New York restaurants. Pays, yeah, it pays uh, well. I mean, especially nightclubs. I, I, I don't, yeah, yeah. No, no, yeah, I don't know about four star. I was I was at a nightclub. Yeah, and those people like are down, drunk, so on their way out, they just want their coat, so they'll give you yeah, a five. Yeah. Down, they'll give you a down ten. And, down and dirty. Yeah, and I mean nightclubs, places that can you know cycle in five hundred people in a night and. Typically, as Gina mentioned, you know, people are wasted. So when they lose their ticket, you know, and and, and you're sitting there, they're, they're sitting there at your mercy yeah. saying, I'm so sorry. Yeah. I, I, I lost my ticket. It's the black leather coat. And I'm like, really? The the black leather coat? You know how many black leather coats are in this closet? Yeah. You know, and then they'll You should just have like a tissue box of black leather coats. <laughs> and, then, and then they'll sit there and they'll be like, man, come on. I'll give you 20 bucks. Just find my coat. Yeah. Okay. And you're like... Done. I can do that. <laughs> I can find your coat for yeah. twenty dollars because whereas you're wearing like this cool black other coat, and like, <laughs> I don't know where I got this one. It's beautiful. So yeah, coat check worked out. <laughs> coat check <laughs> worked out to the point where temporarily, yeah, temporarily. But then in '03, you moved back, helped open up in Vino Pache's wine bar. Uh, no, 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 no. In Vino's not Pache. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, it, well, so I came back after doing coat check. I came back. I tried to get a bartending job. Yeah. Apparently, uh, there's no place in the world other than New York, according to many New York operators, that has you know 
a busy place and values. You know, apparently New York's the only place that can do that because the amount of answers that I got, you don't have New York experience, you don't have New York. Yeah. Nobody would hire me to be a bartender even though I'd been doing it for five years previous. So I ended up getting a co-check job. But anyways, after the co-check job, I ended up working at a wine bar called Invino. Gotcha. Not related to Pache. I worked there for a little bit. Then I ended up bartending at Hearth yep. with Paul Greco and Marco Canora. And then from there, I ended up bartending at Pache. And Pache, I helped open. And Pache was short-lived. I think it was only open about 13 yeah. months. But that was with Joey that uh, was, Campanero. That was where I met Joey Campanero. Thusly into Little Owl. Exactly. Then the Market Table. And then the Stoneman Empire. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, I, 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 from when Pache closed, I had the opportunity. I was 25. It was, you know, do I go look for another bartending job? Or I locked myself in my apartment and tried to write a business plan. And we, I was successful, raised some money, built a little out, built Market Table, decided I wanted to go my own direction uh, from my partners. And took some time off and came back strong with with Gina by my side. Yeah. And we opened up Joseph Leonard and, in And I wanted August to interject there because I think I actually met Gina separate of you. I met Gabriel when you were working in front of the house, uh, Major yeah. D at uh, Little Owl, and met Gina when she was at the Norwood Club. That's right. Club. That's right. Um, and prior to Norwood Club, which is a cool little arts-based uh, uh, community mm-hmm. slash restaurant slash club. Mm-hmm. Slash uh, where we got married. Yes, yes, we had our way. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Touchdown. Yeah. Um, prior to that, had you been in restaurants your whole life? Um, well, not my whole yeah. life, but yeah. Well, as uh, a baby, you know, chopping yeah. up. Some <laughs> uh, well, actually, it was it was my first job when I was sixteen, and then and then when I moved to New York, I I studied dance and theater, and um, you know, naturally you work in restaurants, um, but quickly fell in love with. Um, I worked at at the Hudson Hotel actually when it first opened in two thousand. Um, and I got a job working in the bar there and uh, loved being in a hotel, loved, you know, all the different departments and everything, all the people it takes to make run a hotel. I was fascinated by the whole thing. So I, um, kind of worked my way into the special events department and, um, ended up working for Ian Schrager Hotels for a few years, um, as a, an events director. From there, I, uh, I started working for Steven Starr and I was the director of events at Budokan and Morimoto. And then I went to Norwood and uh, helped open the club and was there for a couple of years. And then Gabriel and I decided to start working together. So we've been doing that for almost two years now. Yeah. Yeah. Thank God. (laughs) (laughs) Because otherwise, we wouldn't be as successful. Yeah. You know, what's fascinating, though, is that you come from a world of special events. Mm -hmm. And not to blow smoke up both your asses, but every time you go to Joseph Leonard or Jeffrey's Grocery, and I've yet to be the Fedora, but I'm going soon, it always feel, feels like a special event. Oh. It's, 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 oh. Thank you. It's not just, you know, as <laughs> has you. been described, a neighborhood joint. It feels like that neighborhood joint that always uh, not just feels like home, but feels like you are a local celebrity. Um, well, I will definitely give give Gabriel all the credit for that. He's he's an amazing host, and you know one of the things that he did before opening even the Little Owl, and something that he continued. Well, we haven't done so much in the last year because we've been busy. Is he's a great host, and when he hosts a dinner party, it's like that's the way he treats his restaurants. You know, like yeah. like it's almost like all these people that have never been to the restaurant are his closest friends, and he's inviting them into his living room for dinner. And that's that's kind of the philosophy that that um, 
that we run the restaurants by. Well, and, and in the uh, Times piece, actually, there was a, you know, a line that I pulled out in which you said that you learned while in Wisconsin to treat every guest as a regular. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, that's what it, it feels like. Cheers. I mean, not, not to use that illusion, but <laughs> no, I went, I went in a Joseph like Leonard one time and I got slow clapped on the walk in, I believe a slow cap. Clap yeah. is a beautiful thing. Yeah. 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 Um, we have a lot of, a lot of, uh, slow clappers yeah. that, yeah. that, that are working behind the bar yeah. and our managers and it's, yeah. it just makes everybody feel great Yeah, and it's genuine. Yeah. Definitely. We're really happy that you're there. Yeah. <laughs> I, that, that, you know, there, there's a saying that says, uh, you know, treat your locals like celebrities and your celebrities like locals. I, I think we really, really try to exercise and embody that. And, you know, I think something that is really important to what we aim to try to do is to create regulars. You know, that, that is our goal with everybody that walks through the door. If this is your first time here, what does it take from us to try to make you a regular? And if you are a regular, what do we need to keep doing to keep you that way? And, you know, that bottled with genuine, you know, gratefulness. And, and, And let's be honest, there's a lot of options of places to go eat at. Yeah. And if we don't show appreciation and gratitude for you walking in our our, in, into our door and into our home, then I think, you know, we're off. Well, I'm, I'm glad you actually uh, used the word home because I don't think it's a farce that you named Joseph Leonard after your grandparents, um, that the place feels familiar, feels, you know, like family. Right. Um, so it does feel like walking into somebody else's home rather mm-hmm. than a restaurant most of the time. And that's the greatest thing i can hear yeah so thank you, you and, know, i mean that's definitely something we're trying to yeah. do there is make it feel warm and you know jeffrey's grocery named in, after my father named after your father so i mean these are great allegories yeah. but they're truthful you know oh, they're, yeah. They're, yeah and there's a lot of thought that goes into the way we design each restaurant and you know if you go to jeffrey's right now above the bar you'll see an old train set which belonged to his dad when yeah. he was a kid and there's just a lot of things that that they're special that we try to incorporate into each restaurant. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, aside from the similarities that you own all three and operate all three, what are the most distinct differences between Joseph Leonard, Jeffrey's Grocery, and Fedora? Sure. I think uh, the most distinct differences are in the food. Yeah. By, by and large. You know, when I look at Joseph Leonard... I, I what I see and what I hope other people see is what we set out to do, which is create an American bistro, right? You know, we have some very, you know, apparent odes to a, a, a traditional French bistro. You know, we have Jim McDuffie, our chef's beautiful pate and riette, and you know, we sometimes put bouffe bourguignon on the menu, or we have a steak au poivre, or we have mussels and fries, you know. And then all of that's married with all of these, you know, unique individual creations based upon, you know, what local ingredients we can find vegetable and fruit wise and what proteins, uh, meat and fish that our purveyors are bringing to us. You know, then I look at Jeffrey's Grocery and Jeffrey's Grocery's name implies a lot of what we've set out to do there. It's an oyster bar. Yeah. You know, it, it is an oyster bar, but it is so much more than just the raw bar portion. Are oysters kosher? 
Come on now. (laughs) Unfortunately, they are one of the forbidden foods. You you denied Um, yourself of them for too long. I I did deny myself of them for too long. We actually denied ourselves of them at our wedding. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) It was a rough, rough We denied ourselves a lot of things that I I normally eat at our wedding. It was a great day. It didn't matter. (laughs) Um, You know, so Jeffrey's Grocery, what we focus on trying to achieve there is a huge raw bar selection that we try our best to present in an abundant manner and in a more value-driven manner than some of the other places that offer similar fare in the city. Uh, Then what we try to do accompanying that is we try our best to sort of not allow ourselves to be contained by any other boundaries. And we're only electric there, right? You know, it's it's only... uh, you know, a, a convection oven, a couple of induction burners, an electric cheese melter and a panini press in. I think it's really astounding what Eric Milley, the chef over there, you know, is pulling off. And, you know, we're right now in a constantly evolutionary process of coming up with new ideas and trying to find out how far we can achieve and push the envelope with those ingredients that we have. Yeah. And the equipment that we have to use at our disposal then lastly i think the the the, the third place fedora where that differentiates the most is that's got to be probably i would say um you know the most out there of some of our dishes right you know when you go to fedora what you're going to find more prominent on that menu than you will find on either jeffrey's or joseph leonard's menu is you're going to find Oful. Yep. And you're going to find Oful, which is a testament to the chef, Mehdi. Mehdi, who Gene and I met on our travels to Montreal, who used to be the chef de cuisine at Opier de Cochon, you know, has a lot, a lot of skill and talent and abilities in taking these otherwise offcuts that are sometimes challenging to make beautiful and making miraculous dishes out of them. I mean, we have this dish egg in a hole with a tripe ragu, which is, I mean, it's out of this world, yeah. you know? And I mean, he pairs octopus with sweetbreads. I, you know, I did read that. Yes. We, have, we have crispy pig's head croquettes. You know, we have so many cool, funky things. Yeah. And then he marries that with this beautiful love that he has for seafood and his devotion to constantly using the freshest ingredients that he can find and you are going to always find crudo and uh, you you know almost sashimi uh, presentations through his very you know tricked out imaginative (laughs) mind you know where we'll do you know cured Spanish mackerel with crushed homemade barbecue chips you know and you're like that's really beautiful clean awesome delightful fish and yeah you know you put crushed homemade barbecue chips who does that you know it's awesome and avocado right (laughs) right um well you know what i think is lovely uh i've heard fedora uh described as you know this historic thing reintroduced Mm -hmm. but i think it's wrong in saying reintroduced it's really reinvented Mm -hmm. you know from hearing how Medi goes about interpreting yeah. the menu. That was really. I, I'm, I'm glad you touched base on that. that. That's something that was really important to us to do, to reinvent it, and something that was challenging as well because of so many of the neighborhood stalwarts who, you know, they, they, they you, you get a lot of this uh, opinionated 
outspoken individuals who sit there and say, Wait, oh, in New York? Need, right. Really? In you the know, restaurant industry? Who, who sit yeah. there and, and they say, oh, you know... You, you got to restore Fedora and you need to keep it the same. And, you know, Fedora was beautiful the way it was. And these are all people who never went there. Right. And it's like, look, you, you, you speak to Fedora and you speak to Fedora's family and they'll tell you the last 10 years it was on a downturn. Yeah. Right. You know, they you, you speak to them and look, it is a piece of history and it is a beautiful heritage and a wonderful family and we're so grateful we get along well with them and fedora lives upstairs and she loves what we've done with the space she was in there last week to celebrate her 90th birthday right but i knew for a fact if we tried to keep fedora alive we would open ourselves up to so much ridicule and criticism saying it's not the same it's not as good uh as it used to be or this or that so you know what we're not going to try to keep fedora going we are going to build our own restaurant there. And that's exactly what the Dorado family wanted us to yeah. do. We're going to make this our own. We're going to keep the name because it's a beautiful name and it's a piece of history and heritage. And we're going to keep the location. And we're going to keep the general layout. You know, I mean, kitchen's still in the back. The bathrooms are still where the bathrooms are. And the bar's up front. Yeah, it's three times as long. And there's a banquette. And there used to not be a banquette. But, you know, it's still a shotgun-style restaurant. Yeah. And, you know, when you walk in, it's still called fedora and it's still in the space where fedora has been since 1952 and if we're lucky we'll have the privilege and the opportunity to keep it running for a fraction of yeah. the history that it's already enjoyed but we're not trying to run fedora the way it was we're making it our own yeah well i see it as you know you preserved its integrity mm-hmm. um but on top of that you've preserved its tradition absolutely um and I mean, it's still it's still a family-run yeah, restaurant. But I mean, this is even recalling your upbringing. Yeah. There is instilled tradition throughout all of your restaurants, mm-hmm. be them newly opened or you know something that you guys have pondered for a long time. It shows, and uh, it, it's it's not just you know a flash in the pan kind well, of thing. It's, it's great to hear that. And yeah. Thank you. You know, yeah. I mean, we 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 do put a lot of thought and time and yeah. and heart in, into what we do. So it's always wonderful to hear compliments. Yeah. Thank and uh, where, where do you? see yourselves kind of pitted up against some of the other lauded New York restaurateurs, Keith McNally, Mary Batali. Do you feel like you're going towards... I don't think I deserve to be in the same sense <laughs> as those individuals. Oh, don't worry. They were uh, actually semicolons when I was saying it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, we're big fans, yeah, yeah. Yes. We're big, big uh, fans. Yeah. I think Keith McNally, I've gone on record saying several times, is uh, my favorite restaurateur uh, in New York, in this country, in this world. Uh, I think what he's achieved is remarkable, and I love the spaces he's built. Uh, they inspire me, actually. Uh, I think Mario Batali is one hell of a chef, and I have enjoyed so many amazing meals at so many of his establishments, it's not even you know worth rattling off. Uh, I think if we are fortunate enough to achieve a fraction of, of the success that those two individuals have achieved as restaurateurs, I will consider ourselves to be remarkably and through the roof successful. And I will be very, very grateful at what we've accomplished if we do a fraction. Um, that being said, we're going to have to really dig our heels in and work a hell of a lot harder yeah. to be included in the category of, you know, just the mega stalwarts that those two guys are. I can see it. I can see it happening. <laughs> wow. I think we got a long, long, long ways to go. Yeah, we got nothing but time. I just wanted to 
remind everyone out there, don't just visit the restaurants. Come into the homes of Gabriel and Gina Stillman. Please do. We'll welcome yeah. you with a slow clap. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It happened. It, I blushed. It was great. It was fantastic. It, it usually it starts a slow clap and then it builds and then for some reason builds everybody else roar. in oh, the yeah. restaurant joins in. Oh yeah, and it, it's 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 embarrassing but it, delightful. It's the closest <laughs> you'll ever be into uh, be into an eighties movie. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty special. Yeah, it, it's <laughs> Joseph Leonard, Jeffrey's Grocery, Fedora. Michael Harlan Turkel. (laughs) That's how the slow clap started. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Gabriel and Gina, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having us. (laughs) My pleasure. You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. Thanks for joining in. Hoping to have you listening Tuesday, 3 p.m. Shout out to Jack Inslee, our executive producer. Peace. Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening. Whole Foods Market celebrates Earth Month with the Do Something Real Film Festival, a collection of six provocative character-driven films focused on food, environmental issues, and everyday people with a greater vision. Come see one of the six features at City Cinema's Village East from Saturday, April 16th through Thursday, April 21st, every night at 6 p.m. Learn more about the films and special events at www.dosomethingreal.com. That's www.dosomethingreal.com. Sponsored by Whole Foods Market. The following message has been brought to you by Fairway Market. What's the buzz about honey? Well, those busy little bees are up to something, and it is delicious. The Fairway label honey is superb. Fairway only hires worker bees that are the best at what they do. This makes for a great-tasting, high-quality honey at an amazing value with the Fairway stamp of approval. And on top of being delicious, honey is a great substitute for other sweeteners and can even benefit your health. This includes better energy, respiratory improvements, and balanced blood sugar levels. It's a no-brainer. Get your Fairway honey today.